You know, I love that passage in, in Luke that uh, Sky read to us. Because God is a God who's a father. And you might think these days that God made a mistake revealing himself as a father because we live in a society where there's a concerted effort towards destroying normal sexuality, especially masculinity. Um, and, and I'm going to make a statement here that the Alphabet Mafia won't like and the Gay BC won't like, but it's not hate speech. God is your father. And he didn't make a mistake revealing himself as a father. Just because there's an attack on masculinity, God revealed himself as a father. And he did it on purpose. Um, the fact that he chose to reveal himself as a father, not a mother or a bisexual, non-binary, transgender God like Ishtar, he revealed himself as a father because he loves us. And there's a message in that. There's something special about being a father. Uh, Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female. They've gone back through archaeology. They've, they've looked back thousands of years. They've never found a skeleton of a binomial, whatever it is. Yeah. There's been males, there's been females, right? And God purposely chose to reveal himself as a male. Reverend uh, Dr. Alan, uh, Ian Paul in The Telegraph said this one time, the fact that God is called father cannot be substituted by mother without changing the meaning, nor can it be gender neutralized to parent without loss of meaning. Fathers and mothers are not interchangeable, but relate to their offspring in different ways. Is that right? So why father? Why did God choose father? Because he wants to show us the best characteristics of a father. Not a non-binary, thank you, effeminate, emasculated mix. He wants to be a father, and there's a point to that. You should recognize that your view of God the Father is, is colored somewhat by your, your view of your own father. Because if you've had a great father, I had a terrific father. We used to hang out a lot together and and uh, we used to go fishing together and, and, you know, sit there for hours on a jetty in the dark being eaten by mozzies. That's bonding right there, you know. And I had a great, but you might not have had a good father. And so what, the relationship you've had with your father sort of changes how you see God as a father. But we've got to tell you, God is the best bits of that. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 18 says, I will be your father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So some of you will see God as having a big stick waiting to smash you, waiting to punish you if you step out of line. Some of you live in fear of rejection by him. You think, if, if I let him down, he's going to reject me. I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm no good. Uh, some of you will see him as, as distant and disinterested. You know, Bette Midler saying God is watching us from a distance. He's not. He's watching us from very, very close even within us by his Holy Spirit. But some of you would know him as a loving father whose heart is for you and whose love for you is infinite. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. If you focus on your earthly father, you're going to see faults. My kids look at me and I'm not a perfect father, I've got to tell you. I've made mistakes. But when I look at my heavenly father, he's never made a mistake. He's perfect and you'll see perfect love there. And of course, the greatest illustration of that is that parable that was read to us earlier, Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. So God's fatherly love for you is pure. And I'm going to use the word pure, P-U-R-E, to explore the love of God that he has for you as a father. Now, in the parable, 
the father gives his inheritance to the son and the son squanders it. But the interesting thing is the father is always waiting for his son to return to him, just as God our father is waiting right now for you to return to him. So let's have a look at the, the pure love of the father because I think if you're going to talk about love, it's good to actually investigate his love and see what sort of love does God have for you. Because we use, we use love in different ways in our culture. English is very imperfect. We have one word for love. The Greeks have seven, of which four are mostly used. And they, they're all different sorts of love. In English, we're imperfect. You know, I love my wife. I love Vegemite. You know, I love my children. I love the Broncos. It, you know, we use the same word. But I don't feel towards my wife and my children what I feel towards Vegemite as much as I might love Vegemite. So let's have a look at the pure love of God. P-U-R-E. P is for protect. God is not here. I've got to tell you this. Some of you need to hear this. God is not here this morning with a bolt of lightning and a big stick. He loves you. He has plans to prosper you and not to harm you and to deliver you from... What does the Lord's Prayer say? Deliver us from evil. Why? Because He wants to. He's not here to mess your life up. He's not here to cramp your style. He's here to protect you because he loves you. Jeremiah 29, 11, we know it well. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. If you don't have Christ, you don't have a hope and a future like he can give you. I tell you, it, it, is, the, you know, it is the greatest life. God is not out to punish you. He is not out to hurt you. He's not out to limit you or control you. He wants the best for you. And he wants to protect you from harm. But wanting the best for you doesn't mean granting every request that you make. You know, we often demand things that ultimately are not good for us. And his laws are designed to protect us from the consequences of our own dumb decisions. You know, Psalm 119 is a whole, the longest psalm in the Bible is all about God's law. And it says how wonderful God's law is. How he delights in God's law. How can you delight in the law? You know why? Because it protects you. It protects you from the dumb decisions that you and I might make. How many how many's ever made a dumb decision? Yes. Many people make bad decisions. And you experience the consequences of those decisions. Yet what happens is people make really dumb decisions, then they blame God. You see this all the time with with uh, you know various people that you talk to oh it's not fair that God's made this happen to me yeah but you made the decision you know this is verse I love verse in Proverbs 19 verse 3 when a man's folly brings his way to ruin his heart rages against the Lord so you go out there and, and you do something really dumb or stupid you know you might take drugs or hang with the wrong crowd or whatever and then when your life falls apart you say what did you do this to me for God and God says, you're joking, right? I just let you, do, like you wanted to do your stuff. I let you do it. It all goes back and then you blame me. He gets a raw deal as a father. Sometimes that happens. So if you've made a poor decision in the past, I've got to tell you that he can save you from that. He can turn that around. You might have made a poor decision in the past. You might have married the wrong person or taken the wrong substance or drug or ran with the wrong crowd or made a wrong business decision. Look, stop blaming God for what you decided to do. He loves you. He never wants to harm you. He is actively protecting you from the consequences of your own decisions. 
he, I'll say that again, he is actively protecting you. And sometimes you will make a dumb decision and there'll be consequences. But I tell you, he's actively protecting. He's trying to stop you doing that. That's why we say get together in church, hang out with Christians because we tend to not make as dumb mistakes as everybody else because we know the Lord and his plans for us. See, God has big plans for your life. So look at your life right now. Are you fulfilled? Have you reached your destiny or have you fallen short? If you come to Jesus Christ today, if you give your heart to him, if you come to the Father today, it's game on for your whole life. It really is. He can do amazing, incredible things in your life. So God is actually looking out for you. Whatever you've done, however you've fallen in the past, God can forgive and God can turn life's lemons into lemonade. And he's watching you right now. Luke 15 verse 20. Let me read this from this passage we had before. So he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. All that time that the wayward son was away self-indulging and sinning and, and have, you know, having this, this life of, of indulgence and what have you, the father was waiting patiently, looking, searching the horizon, praying, longing for the return of his son. And when the father saw him from afar, he rushed out to see the prodigal. Now, back in those days, it was very uncool for a mature man to run. And, but, you know, he sort of hitched up his uh, robes and ran out to see, so excited. He was so excited to see his son all that time. And God is looking at you right now, and he's so excited to see you here in church today, some of you. And he's so excited because, because he knows he's waiting for that change of heart right now. Picture this. In your darkest moment of sin, in your greatest time of shame, your father is watching. He's waiting. He's not condemning you, but he's longing for you to turn to him. He doesn't like what he sees you do, but he never stops loving you. So no matter what you've done, no matter how sinful or selfish or horrible you've been, no matter what someone has done to you in the past, God, your Father, is looking out for you right now. He is waiting for that change of heart. He is waiting to lavish upon your life and to give you life and life to the full. So will you push him away this morning? Or will you come to him and make this the best Father's Day ever? That's his protection for you. You is for unconditional love. Romans 8, 38 to 39. I love this. Listen to this. Paul writes, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am convinced that nothing can do that. See, the God's, God's fatherly love for you is unconditional. That means no matter what you do, He loves you. No matter how much you let Him down, He loves you. It, it's also unwavering, meaning it never changes. And it's unfathomable, meaning try as you might, you will never exhaust the depth of the Father's love for you. We sang about it before, how deep the Father's love for us. We are used to uh, love in our lives that is conditional. Think about it. Most of the love that we get, even from our parents, it's very often conditional. So if you play well, if you get an A, if you're cute or beautiful or talented, then you will feel love. But if you let them down, you don't feel loved. 
Anybody familiar with that feeling? Even the best of parents. We don't mean to do it. We want our kids to do well. But sometimes the wrong message is conveyed. Some people grow up thinking, if I don't do well, my dad's not going to love me anymore. And that's a terrible place to be. Because God's love for you is unconditional. If you sin, does he love you? Yes. If you completely blow it and ruin your life, does he love you? Yes. The world tells us that if you love someone, you have to let them do what they want. That's not true. How many of you know that you love your kids, but you don't let them do whatever they want? Otherwise, it will be ice cream every night. You know, that's all you would eat. You, loving someone doesn't mean you, you let them do stuff all the time. This is what the world peddles. If you love me, you'll let me do what I want. That's not true. If you love someone and they're going to destroy their life... That's not love if you let them do it, is it? Love would say, no, no, you need to not do this. But the world say, no, no, no. If I want to do it, if you truly love me, you're going to let me do it. It's completely not true. You can love so someone, but if they're going to destroy their life with drugs, for example, I, I think you should say something, don't you? Oh, no, it's your decision. I'll just support you, whatever you do. No, some things I won't support. I've shared the story before, but one of our foster girls came to, to see us and she was transitioning into a boy and she said, do you love me? Do you support my decision? And I said, well, yes and no. And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, yes, I love you. I'll always love you. You're part of our family. You will always be welcome here. But no, that's, this is the dumbest decision you've ever made by a long shot. And um, even though we don't see it very much anymore she's transitioned to a boy and um but she used to call in and see she felt comfortable enough to be around us even as she was transitioning into a boy which i totally did not agree with and i said if you're going to be a boy you better sit down here right now and start watching football she said i don't like football i said you're not a boy then come on every boy i know likes football or action movies none of this romance stuff give me an action movie explosions you know question how can a loving father send those he loves to hell he loves you so much he, he sent his one and only son to save you from going to hell to die in your place we all deserve hell but the heart of the father is to sacrificially send his one and only son to die in your place see people say how can a loving father condemn people to hell flip it around we're all condemned to hell, but a loving Father offers you a way out. If you don't take it, He's not sending you to hell, you're sending you to hell. It's your decision. Again, don't blame God for the consequences of your decision. If you go to hell, it's your choice, not His. If you don't receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you will go to hell and it will break God's Father's heart because He loves you so much. Even if you reject his son, he still loves you. And it will break his heart. But he cannot go against the penalty for sin. Now in the parable, the father loves his son even when the son rejects him and blows the family fortune on his own pleasures. At home, abroad, in a brothel, in a pigsty, the father's love never changes for his son. But note this, the wayward son was still in a pigsty. There was a consequence to what he did. The father didn't bail him out all the time. 
He didn't even know. He was waiting, waiting, waiting for his son to return. But the son went through hell out there, finishing up in a, in a pigsty, hoping to eat pig food. See, he wasn't spared the consequences of his rejection of the father. Verse was quoted earlier. Most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When your heavenly father looks at you, he loves you unconditionally. No conditions. He offers you life in his son Jesus, but you have to choose to accept or reject him. Now people will say, oh, I don't want to become a Christian. You've got to, I'll have to give up my lifestyle. What sort of a lifestyle have you got? I don't give up my garbage. I throw it out. And if your lifestyle is getting you into garbage, throw it out. Don't hold on to it. My goodness, why would you hold on to that stuff? But I want to party. Well, you know, have you seen the results of party? Partying's really cool when you're 18. It's sort kind of cool when you're in your 20s. It's a bit sad in your 30s. It's... It's really ugly in your 40s and 50s. And if you're still partying when you're 60, you're just, it's just sad. Isn't it? You know, don't hold on to something that won't last. Choose life today. Choose to yield your life to your father today. He wants the best for you. His love is limitless. So don't reject it and walk away to hell this morning. Some of you are sitting and saying, eh, I don't think I believe that. Start believing it. Because he sent his son to pay the price for you. All you have to do is accept it. He doesn't choose to send you to destruction. You choose it for yourself if you reject him. So today, choose life because God loves you unconditionally. And today is a great time to repent. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God wants you to repent. He's reaching out to you saying, my child, he's that father standing there waiting for you to come to your senses and turn around and come back to him. God is waiting today for you to repent. In Greek, the word repentance is the word metanoia, which means a complete reversal of one's mind, a 180 degree turn. I really love it when people say, oh, I made a 360 degree turn in my life. Well, if you did, you're back where you started. <laughs> it's got to be 180, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> But that's what it is, a 180-degree turn. So we think, oh, I can change a little bit. It's not veering off course. When you come to Christ, it's not a, oh, I'll just I'll stop a few things but keep going. No, no, turn 180 degrees, completely the other direction. And it doesn't mean being sorry to be caught. Most of us are not sorry when we do stuff. We're just sorry when we're caught. Aren't we? Am I the only one? Good. Makes me feel so much better. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See, you and I have sinned. Even as believers we sin. We continue to sin. But if we sin, our conscience weighs heavily on us and we regret what we've done, especially if we're caught. This regret and guilt can, can and will destroy you. So many people carry a burden of guilt and shame for something they've done in their past. You might, be, you might even be a Christian, but you're still carrying that shame inside of you for something you've said or done or been a part of in the past. And I've got to tell you, God can loose you of that chain this morning. He can set you free from that this morning because when, 
you know, when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. He really can. So many carry that burden of shame with them, you know, and, and, and it fills their life with sorrow and it kills your joy. It just, and the enemy has a habit of just stirring that stuff up and just putting it in the back of your mind. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that, that like you, you say, well, I've, I've met someone and they hurt me, but I've forgiven them. And so you walk away and say, I've forgiven them. I hope they die, but I've forgiven them anyway. You know, and yet, but, but when you next meet them, oh, hello. You know, you, you haven't forgiven them. You might have mouthed some words, but you haven't forgiven them in your heart. You, see? you don't need to carry that any longer. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, repentance might be painful, it might humble you, but it actually sets you free in a way you've never experienced before. The burden of sin is lifted. The fear of consequences is removed. The joy of the Lord is restored and life, life to the full is the result. And trust me, if you think sin is fun, try holiness. It's really good. People say, I don't want to give up my life for sin. Or say, that person hurt me. I, I can't forgive him. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping the other guy dies. You're only hurting yourself if you don't forgive. But I want to hang on to this stuff. Listen, if you come to Christ, your life is set free. Some of you here have been tremendously hurt by other people. I understand that. I'm not belittling that at all. But I'm saying you can be set free from the burden of that forever. If you come to your Father today. If you want to give your, your Heavenly Father a great gift on Father's Day, give Him your life. Repent and seek Him today because the Father's heart responds to repentance every single time. P-U-R. R is for restorative. The third thing about God's pure love is that He wants to restore you. Now, the wayward son returned home to be a servant. He said, oh, I better go home. Maybe God will make me a servant. At least I can eat then. But the father restored him to a place of privilege. God wants to restore you today. I love that verse, Joel 2.25. I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. And sin is that locust. You know, do you know what locusts are? Like grasshoppers. But they're, they're really aggressive grasshoppers. And they eat everything in the place. They will go through a paddock and just, there will be nothing edible left. They eat everything. They're like a teenage boy. You can't switch them off. They eat everything. You know, you go to the fridge after a teenage boy, there's nothing left. You know, and that's what it's like. Sin eats your life away till there's nothing left. But God says, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. I'll restore them. So what does restore mean? It means making something like the years of neglect never happened you see it sin will eat you out slowly from inside but like if you take a car for example you see the mess on the top there right and that's the that's the same car restored so sin sin can can ruin your life like that that top picture but then if you come to christ he'll restore the years the locusts have eaten he will make your life as if the years of neglect never happened isn't that exciting i think that's awesome and that's what the love of the Father can do for you today. Those years you've wandered away from Him, those years you've disobeyed, messed your life up, all the dumb decisions, the pain you caused others, the pain others caused you, God is in the restoration business and He's calling you 
home today. But biblical restoration goes even beyond that. You know why? Because God doesn't want to make you what you once were. He wants to make you and restore you to what you should have been all along. That's even better. So God can restore your life. God can restore all aspects of your life. I've seen it so often. I've seen it in our own family. You know, when I married Fiona, we, we had, there, were, there were issues with her father, and that, but I've seen God restore that in her life so that she's been a fantastic mother, now a mother to many, many kids as well. But she carried a great burden. If she kept carrying that burden, and it was an unjust thing that was done to her, but if she kept carrying that burden, she would never have been restored. You can't carry it and get restored at the same time. It's like the car on top saying, I'm going to hang on to this rust, but do your best and restore me. Well, you can't. Restoration means giving it to the master mechanic and letting him rebuild it the way it should have been. He restores your life to what it should have been all along. The 15th century Japanese art of Kintsuki uh, takes cherished bowls that have been shattered and broken and fixes them with gold. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's amazing. And what it does is it doesn't hide the flaws. It highlights the flaws. Think about that. It's not trying to hide your cracks and flaws. It rebuilds your life using gold so that the flaws are the most prominent thing. It celebrates them. So when God restores you, that's what it is often like. We can often celebrate the things which once hurt us because he's restored us just like this. He's put us back together with gold. Isn't that cool? It's amazing. God says to you this morning, don't cover up your sins and failures. Confess them and let me cover them over with my love. Have you had hurts in the past that still cause pain at times? Don't suppress them. Confess them. And let God restore your shattered life with gold, not to what it once was, but to what it should have been all along. He's a God who restores. P-U-R-E. What's E for? Well, E is emotional. Many people see God as some ethereal force floating out there, the universe or something similar. Listen, God is not the universe. He's the creator of the universe. He's the sustainer of all things. But His desire has and always will be for intimacy with you. Intimacy with you. God is actually very emotional. That father, when he saw his son, he didn't say, Oh, hark, looketh, here comes my son. Jolly good. He hitched up his drawers and went screaming out there and, and gave him a huge hug. Why? Because he was Im God's emotional. God is a person. He's a father. I'm a father and I get emotional when I see my kids and now my grandkids do stuff. Don't you? Um, Kira, my daughter, put a, a, a video of Cole, her youngest, walk. He's only just started walking, and he had no pants on, so we won't show it. But this little little tiny bottom, and he's walking along like this, going to the bath, and it was the cutest thing. And I, I've watched it several times. It just blesses me. Bone and by bone, flesh of my flesh. It's part of my family. And I get emotional, and I hope, dads, I hope you get emotional. Australian dads are not good at this. We are the land of the absent father because we, we never had, many of us never had fathers growing up. He was always working or he's down at the pub or something like that or reading the paper. 
Remember the dads would read the paper? Did your dad read the paper? You know, every Saturday morning or whatever it was. Dad, let's go and play board. Not now, son. You know, and we, but I tell you, God the Father never says, not now, son. He doesn't do it. Remember that song that came out years ago, Cats in the Cradle? Yeah. Where, where he, he didn't have time for his son. And then when he grows up, his son has no time for him. And he says at the end, as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me he'd grown up just like me. God can break that cycle. God is emotional. He gets really excited when he sees us too. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. Lamentations 3, you'd know this one. But I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God's fatherly love is genuine and it's emotional. Now, I know there's a couple of new parents here. I saw Matt running around with his little one there. But if you ask any new parent, if there, is there anything more difficult, demanding, or time-consuming than raising a child? Think about it. You, you lose sleep, patience, money, time, hair, and occasionally your sanity. You make unbelievable sacrifices for a little person you only just met, who has no marketable skills, and adds nothing to the family finances and makes incredible demands on you at all hours of the day and night, especially night. And when you do all this stuff for those little creatures, they don't even say thank you. But when it's time for bed, there is nothing more satisfying than holding that little person close to your heart and singing a lullaby, is there? For us who are parents, those are the most cherished memories. It seems unbelievable, but the God of all creation created all of the world, all of the galaxies. He looks at you and he loves you. He loves you as a father, that father. He longs to hold you close. He longs to sing you a lullaby. In fact, let me prove it. Zephaniah 3 verse 17. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quieten you with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. That word loud singing is the Hebrew word rena which means a happy song. He sings you a happy lullaby. Isn't that beautiful? He holds you close and he sings you because he loves you so much. Does that not sound like the picture of a proud father or mother cuddling his child close, totally content just to be with him? God said he's one of the revealed names of, of Jesus is Emmanuel. What does it mean? God with us. He's with us. He wants to be with us. He gets emotional when we draw near to him, so we should. So let me finish up by asking you, how will you respond to the Father's pure love today? 1 John 3 verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That's God's pure fatherly love. Protective, unconditional, restorative and emotional love for you. And all you need to do to make Father's Day complete is to open your arms to him and say, as, as I said in that song, I'm coming, Daddy. When the prodigal son turned, to face, turned his face towards home, he was humbled. He was broken. But his father loved him and received him as his son. And if you come to Jesus Christ right now, when you ask him into your life, you don't become a slave. You become a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. And what does that make you? He's a king. You are a, a prince or a princess. 
You are royalty. We met a guy in the Solomons just last week, a Chinese guy who owned the resort, very old rundown resort, and we met this guy. His name was Thomas, a little Chinese guy. And uh, he had these pictures of the queen and stuff around and, and whatever the princes are, um, not Megan, the other one. Kate? Remember Kate? Yeah. Had these pictures of them. And, and Bill said to me, oh, he probably took those photos and put them up because he's a royalist. Then we were talking to him and he said, oh, he said, I've met the queen four times. I went four times? You met the queen? He said, yeah. Three times in the Psalms and once in London when I got my knighthood. I went, What? I didn't realise we were talking to Sir Thomas Chan, a knight of the realm. Just incredible who you meet in these crazy places. But he is, he's like royalty. And you are like royalty. Because God loves you. You are a child of the King of Kings. You need to act that way. Some of us don't act that way. But we need to realise that we are loved, we are cherished, and we are royalty. Let me finish with this story. There's a little girl named Maria who lived in a beautiful, uh, lived in a, a small vill- village in Brazil. She was a, grew into a beautiful young woman, and she was bored of village life. How many of you can relate to this? So she joined a friend in running away to the big, exciting city, and she just took off with a friend and disappeared. Well, her parents were distraught, and her dad went to the city to search for her. He searched and searched and searched. He couldn't find her, and after months of searching, he had to return home to his job but before he left he counted out all his remaining money and he went to an arcade photo booth and he produced as many photos of himself as he could you know those little ones that come out on a strip and he he wrote on the back of everyone and he went to every bar boarding house and public notice board he could find and he pinned this photo everywhere he could then he returned heartbroken to the village missing his daughter Well, nothing happened for a few weeks, but a few weeks later, after a night of partying and excess, Maria came out of some guy's apartment feeling dirty, broken and miserable. And when she happened to see the photograph, she looked up, she saw a photograph of her father on the notice board. And so she went numb-pinned. She turned it over and as tears rolled down her cheeks, she read this message. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, please come home. That's God's message for you today. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, please come home. Your daddy wants you home. You might have made mistakes in your life. You might have sinned against God and hurt others. All is forgiven. If you come to him, your daddy wants you home. You might be carrying a burden or a guilt or or shame or pain or unforgiveness, but this morning your daddy wants you home. You might feel that you have no value, that you are worthless, that you're not important, that that God overlooks you. I'm telling you today, your daddy has his arms outstretched and he says, it's time to come home. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, your daddy wants you home this morning. Would you bow your head and pray? Lord, you can see right into our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts right now because there are people in this room, I know, that are hurting, that are struggling. And and you're feeling it because you feel empty. You feel worthless. Maybe you're carrying shame or guilt. 
Maybe you're carrying unforgiveness. Maybe you just don't feel close to God. But this is your moment. Because his arms are outstretched and your daddy wants you home. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, please come home. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, then this is for you. This is your moment. Because the greatest Father's Day you can have is to say, Lord, I accept Jesus Christ. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to ask you to join me. Come and pray. Pray with me and let's together ask the Lord into your heart. So say these words with me. If you've never asked Jesus into your life or if you've been wandering away for a long time, pray the same prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I turn away from my sin to you. And I ask you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And thank you for welcoming me into your family. Now as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, just shoot your hand up where you are. I'm not going to bring you to the front, but if you prayed that, there's a few here. Is there anyone else? Prayed it for the first time or the first time in a long time. Praise God. Now for the rest of us, just because you come to Jesus doesn't mean you don't carry burdens. And I just sense that there are people here who are carrying burdens and guilt and shame and unworthiness. You just, you just don't feel worthy. I believe God is speaking to you today. And I want to lead you in a prayer because I know many of you will be like this. Your view of your heavenly father is colored by your view of your earthly father. But I know that God wants you to be set free. He wants you to have life and life to the full. He's pure love, protective, unconditional, restorative and emotional love. He's here for you this morning. If only you respond. So pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, I give you the broken pieces of my life. Have your way. I'm coming home. I know God's speaking to many people. Let's all stand together. Let's all stand together. We're just going to sing a praise song. I'm going to invite you to the front. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to invite you to the front. Because I know God is speaking to people here. You don't need to carry this anymore. You just don't. His arms are outstretched to you. He says, come home. Come home to me. No matter what you've done. No matter what you've become. Please come home. We're going to sing this. I'm going to invite you to the front. So don't, don't sit around in your chair. Respond to him today. If your daddy was here with his arms outstretched saying he loves you and he was the perfect daddy, you wouldn't just sit back there and say, well, I'll get to you when I get around to it. Or it doesn't suit me now. Wouldn't you run into his arms? I would. It's time to run into his arms. He's here for you. So we're just going to sing this together. And if you prayed that prayer, just make your way to the front now. I believe God's going to speak to many people.